0: Hey, it's NPR's Book of the Day. I'm Andrew Limbaugh. Something kind of rare happens in today's interview. See, usually when authors are asked directly, like, why did you write X character in that way? They give a diplomatic, artistic answer that's gracious to that character's motivations. But there's a character in Maggie O'Farrell's new novel, The Marriage Portrait, a young duke named Alfonso who existed in real life. And O'Farrell read something about him and how horrifically he treated his sisters. That's all real. That's in the historical record. And she tells NPR's Mary Louise Kelly that, at first, she planned on approaching Alfonso in a more even-handed way, but when she found that out, she thought, you know what, this guy was an abusive, murderous jerk in real life. Why bother giving him the benefit of the doubt in fiction? Maggie O'Farrell's last novel, Hamnet, blew me away. It is the story of the only son of William Shakespeare, about whom little is known, And O'Farrell set out to imagine who he was, how he died, and whether Hamnet's short life might have inspired one of his father's greatest plays. Well, her new novel takes on a Different time and place, Renaissance Italy. But it also centres on a real person about whom little is known and whose young life was also cut short. It is titled The Marriage Portrait, and it opens with the following
1: three-sentence historical note. In 1560, 15-year-old Lucrezia di Cosimo de' Medici left Florence to begin her married life with Alfonso II, d'Este, Duke of Ferrara. Less than a year later, she would be dead. The official cause of her death was given as putrid fever, but it was rumoured that she had been murdered by her husband.
0: That is the author, Maggie O'Farrell, reading, and she is with us now. Welcome. I'm so glad to speak with you again. It's so nice to be back. Thank you for having me. So those scant details that you just told us constitute pretty much all we know from the official historical record. Which meant you had all kinds of running room for your imagination, and you imagine her as quite a wild spirit. How, how did you come to realize the fuller character that, that appears in the pages of this novel?
1: Well, I think it's no coincidence that the writing of this novel was pretty much bookended by the pandemic. And (laughs) I don't think it's a coincidence that a lot of the novel is about constraint and lack of choice. So Lucrezia was married off to Alfonso, the Duke of Ferrara, in a kind of politically advantageous union for her father. Um, You know, she was sold for, I think it's something around the, uh, the amount of 50 million pounds. That was her. (laughs) That was her dowry. And also, I realised that in my research that her parents, so her father, Cosimo de' Medici, and her mother, Eleonora, quite unusually educated their daughters alongside their sons. So Lucrezia and her two sisters, they would have been highly intelligent, erudite, well-read young women. And I just thought, you know, obviously their destiny is to make this union for their families. But, you know, all that education and intelligence and reading It doesn't just disappear. You know, there needs to be some kind of outlet for it. So I imagine that Lucrezia might have been a painter. And also, let's not forget that the Medicis had hanging on the walls of their palazzos, you know, the original Botticelli. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They had the birth of Venus. And I was thinking, well, what, what must it have been like to have, you know, have had the birth of Venus basically in your living room? There's a scene early in the novel where I felt like I was
0: starting to get to know her. It involves a tiger, that lives, as they do, in the basement of the palazzo where, where the dad, Cosimo de' Medici, has a private zoo. Describe it and why you wanted that scene.
1: Well, actually, strangely enough, that was the first scene I ever wrote about Lucrezia, And in a sense, it was my way into her character and I just read that Cosimo had kept this menagerie of exotic animals in the basement of the palazzo. So, and I was just, you know, Renaissance art is filled with lions. There are so many lions in Renaissance art, but very, very few tigers. And I think that's because they never actually seen one. So the chapter is entitled The First Tiger in Tuscany and Lucrezia catches a glimpse of it and really wants to see it herself. And so she goes down, she escapes down to the basement at, at, late at night and she puts her hand through the bar of the cage to touch the tiger. And I, uh, it was just my my first image of her as this very little, very determined girl. Uh, for a Medici princess, Lucrezia has not had the
0: happiest childhood. Her parents, her siblings could be quite cold. She acquired survival skills, which you then have her deploy to survive her marriage. I wonder if you would read for us the scene uh, where we see some of those skills being deployed. This is where her new husband's best friend, Leonello is not showing her the respect
1: that he might. Lucrezia does what she always does in situations such as this. She did not grow up with four older siblings who continually put her down, kept her in her place, excluded, teased and belittled her, and learned nothing. The dynamic he is hoping to create is as familiar to her as the shape of her own fingernails. She is expert at dodging such invisible blows. "'How are you, cousin?' she murmurs. She will not raise her voice to him any louder than this.' If he wishes to hear her, let him bend down from his saddle. I see you have been successful in your hunt. It seems to capture her so perfectly. I read it and thought, this is a
0: 15-year-old girl. She she is still a child. And I absolutely, I wouldn't want to mess with her.
1: (laughs) Good luck to (laughs) Leonello. Is that an accurate reading, I suppose, is what I'm asking. I think so, yes. I mean, I I had to kind of reread... The age she was, you know, 15 is so young. And he, uh, uh, her husband Alfonso, the Duke of Ferrara, was 27, and he had only been Duke for less than a year. His father had died the previous year. So Alfonso is having to assert his might. He's having to show everybody that he can do this job, that he is absolutely up to the task of being ruler. And so Lucrezia arrives in this place. She's incredibly young. She has no allies. She doesn't know any of them. And she's got to try and cope. She's got to get used to being married and also to assert her position as Duchess of Ferrara. I read an interview you gave to the Times of London in which you describe uh,
0: Ferrara's cruelty to his sisters, and how mm-hmm. you read about this and thought, "Okay, the gloves are off, Alfonso." <laughs> Ex-
1: explain. <laughs> well, at the beginning of of you know, at the beginning of the process of writing the book, you know there are some historians that believe that Alfonso murdered Lucrezia, and there are others who say that he didn't. That she died of natural causes, possibly of pulmonary tuberculosis. And I, I think at the beginning, I wanted to be quite even-handed. I thought, you know, I must give this man the benefit of the doubt. And then I read about this situation where one of Alfonso's sisters, he discovers that she's having an affair with the head of the guardsman in the Castello. And this is absolute historical recorded fact. Alfonso was very proud of this. In order to show to everybody that this was not to be tolerated, he sentenced the man to be strangled to death and he forced his sister to watch. And this just... You know, absolutely made my blood run cold. I thought, well, this man is more than capable of having killed Lucrezia, so I'm going to run with that interpretation of history. You made a pilgrimage to the real Lucrezia's tomb. I did. Where is it? What did you find? Well, she is buried, along with the other um, Este family, in a monastery in the south of Ferrara City. And I got to Italy just as the travel restrictions were lifting. And the monastery was completely uh, shut. So I rang this huge kind of iron bell that I had to pull, one of those really impressive bells. And the nuns came to the door and I had to explain to them in in my not very good Italian what I wanted to do. And, And we had this slight back and forth. And then they said to me, nobody has ever asked to see her tomb. And that really broke my heart so I had taken flowers and I put them on her grave and I'm not ashamed to say I did have a little bit of a cry because it was just I mean who knows what the nuns thought (laughs) (laughs) this slightly kind of possessed woman who's incredibly hot in the Italian heat bursting in and saying I really want to see this grave and then crying but I I felt it was so sad to know that she was there that actual her with her bones were under that stone on the floor but nobody had ever wanted to see her
0: Maggie O'Farrell,
1: thank you. That's my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. Maggie O'Farrell, talking about her new
0: novel, The Marriage Portrait.